American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about Father Michael McGivney, the founder of the largest Catholic fraternal organization on earth, the Knights of Columbus. My father is actually a fourth degree knight and has been very active serving as a district deputy and in various other roles for the Knights. My parents, who are still in Massachusetts, go down to the Knights of Columbus Museum in New Haven, usually around Christmas time because they have an amazing display of nativities there. Now, I've not been to that museum, but I've seen pictures and I'd like to get there at some point. I'm sure they're going to take you now. Oh, I'm sure we will. (laughs) Because of my dad's involvement with the Knights, they have played a pretty large role in my family life. So I am personally grateful to Father McGivney for founding the Knights. Now, I don't have nearly that much experience with the Knights. No one in my family was involved in the organization when I was growing up. But I mean, I am technically a secondary Knight from my time in seminary, though I must admit I didn't stay active once leaving seminary and coming to Steubenville. Maybe I should rectify that. Something to investigate. Mm. The Knights are a major organization these days. They have about 2 million members in 16,000 councils across the United States and in many other countries around the world. This size makes them second only to the Freemasons in total membership. They donate nearly $200 million to charity annually and do many millions of hours of volunteer work in their communities. They also have one of the best and most well-funded life insurance programs in the world, underwriting 2 million policies worth a total of more than $100 billion. This is an interesting point that most people don't realize. Most people know the Knights sell life insurance. They just don't know that it's actually an integral part of why the Knights of Columbus were founded. Right. They didn't just decide at some point, hey, we've got all this money. Let's get into the insurance business. Offering life insurance was an important part of why they were founded in the first place. But we'll tell that story soon. And nowadays, they also engage in public policy activism, promoting policies that uphold the family and Catholic social teaching. In sum, the Knights exist to serve the church, support families, and to help men stay connected to the faith through camaraderie and mutual aid. But the Knights didn't just come out of nowhere. Obviously, they had a beginning. And that beginning was in the heart and mind of a young priest in New Haven, Connecticut, Father Michael McGivney. Yes, and his inspiration for this organization came from a number of different factors from his own personal experience, plus what he witnessed happening in his parish among his flock. So let's give some background about him and go through those factors and how they came together in the life and ministry of Father McGivney. Father Michael McGivney was born on August 12, 1852, in Waterbury, Connecticut. His parents, Patrick and Mary, were both immigrants from Ireland. They and their families had left Ireland to escape the crushing hunger of the potato famine. So they were part of the massive wave of Irish Catholics that crashed onto the shore in the middle of the 19th century, which means they experienced the significant bigotry and discrimination that the Irish were subject to at the time. No Irish 
need apply. Michael's father, Patrick, worked in a brass mill, and Michael was the firstborn of their 13 children. Six of the children died in infancy or childhood, leaving Michael with four sisters and two brothers. Michael was a good student, noted for his excellent deportment. He was just 13 years old when he graduated early from school and went to work in the brass mill with his father, but that only lasted for three years. At 16, he was accepted into seminary for the Diocese of Hartford and was sent to study at the College of St. Hyacinth in Quebec. His studies also took him to Our Lady of the Angels Seminary near Niagara Falls and St. Mary's Seminary in Montreal. But his seminary studies were derailed for a time when his father died in 1873. Michael was 20 years old. The Irish workers frequently worked in dangerous conditions, so fathers dying was an all-too-common part of life. This would mean that the family no longer had its father, but also that they lost their breadwinner. And that meant poverty and destitution for the family, and frequently the family being broken up as children would be sent to live with relatives or friends. Michael left seminary to return home to earn money and help his mother raise his younger siblings, but after not too long he was able to return and complete his studies at St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore. He was ordained in 1878 in the Cathedral of the Assumption in Baltimore and assigned to be a curate at St. Mary's Parish in New Haven, Connecticut. St. Mary's was the first parish in New Haven, and while Catholics have been organized in New Haven since the 1820s, the construction of the Grand St. Mary Church was controversial. The parish had been established in another part of town, but when time came to build a new church, a wealthy donor gave them land near his own home. So this new church building was to be constructed on Hill House Avenue near Yale University. Hill House was a swanky place to live, which of course meant it wasn't the place where Catholics were typically to be found. The neighbors were not happy, but the parish built their new church there despite the opposition. Even the New York Times lamented that a Roman church was now going to mar such an august avenue. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes. Yeah. At St. Mary's, Father Michael McGivney dove into the work. In fact, he didn't have much option. The parish was in serious debt. They were about $4 million in today's dollars in debt. And that first summer, the pastor of the parish was ill. That meant that Father McGivney had to handle everything. All masses, sick calls, prison visits, confessions, baptisms, and administration of the parish. He actually wrote to one of his professors from St. Mary's Seminary that he hadn't taken a single day off since being ordained for that first year. But he was young, 26 years old, and he had all the energy of youth, the grace of the sacrament of orders, and the zeal of a missionary. It didn't take long for his parishioners to come to love him dearly. He was a tireless priest and an excellent preacher. He had an earnestness and simplicity about him that just drew people in. One touching story from his ministry had to do with a man on death row convicted of killing a police officer while drunk. Father McGivney visited the prisoner, James Smith, daily. He helped him come to terms with what he'd done and to come back to the faith. The change in Smith due to Father McGivney's ministry was noted by many. Five days before the date of execution, Father McGivney offered a high mass at the jail. At the end, he said to those present, I am requested by Mr. Smith to ask pardon for all faults he may have had and all offenses he may have committed. And at his request, I ask for the prayers of all of you that when next Friday comes, he may die a holy death. 
Father then asked for prayers for all who would be present at the execution, including himself. He then said, to me, this duty comes with almost crushing weight. If I could consistently with my duty be far away from here next Friday, I should escape perhaps the most trying ordeal of my life. But this sad duty is placed my way by providence and must be fulfilled. And then on the day of the execution, after mass, Smith said to Father McGivney, Father, your saintly ministrations have enabled me to meet death without a tremor. Do not fear for me. I must not break down now. Father had a deep and tender concern for the suffering of souls, and this was just one example. The larger example of his work for souls was, of course, the founding of the Knights of Columbus. Father recognized a few problems that plagued his parishioners. First was what his family had experienced that had threatened to end his vocation, his father's death. When a husband and father dies, the family is often left destitute, so there needed to be some way to aid the families who suffered this tragedy. Second was the difficulty many Catholics experienced in trying to find a way to fit into this predominantly Protestant and anti-Catholic American society. Many employers simply wouldn't hire Catholics. Many labor unions and popular civic societies would ban Catholics from membership. And then there were the secret societies. Secret societies such as the Freemasons promised great benefits for members. They would provide a brotherhood of men committed to aiding each other, frequently to the point of winking at laws, bending rules, and extending undeserved preferential treatment. They also would provide aid to families of deceased members and ensure proper free funeral and burial. These were all much to be desired, and many Catholic men were giving in to the allurements of these societies. But such societies are forbidden to Catholics. Catholics cannot join societies that place a burden under sworn oath on the conscience of man and whose tenets are incompatible with Catholicism. We actually touched a bit on the Freemasons when discussing whether or not George Washington became Catholic on his deathbed, episode 85. Father McGivney knew the only way to counteract the allurement of these societies was to fill the need. If families need life insurance and assistance when the father dies, then Catholics should provide that. If Catholics need a brotherhood that will offer mutual support in employment and contributing to society, then Catholics should provide that. If Catholic men need a group that would be a brotherhood for them, which offered camaraderie, Catholics should provide that. And not only should Catholics provide an alternative to these other groups, but Catholics should do it in such a way that it was clear that there was no need to break rules to help each other to get ahead. So Father McGivney worked with men at St. Mary's Parish to develop what an organization formed to respond to these needs should look like. The final step was to choose a name. Father McGivney wanted to connect the group to Christopher Columbus to emphasize that Catholics had played a role in America since long before the founding of the United States. Catholics were seen as recent immigrants who were too loyal to the Pope to be trusted, and as such, their ability to be good Americans was perpetually in question. By pointing out that Columbus himself was Catholic and tying the group to Columbus, Father McGivney intended to undermine all claims that Catholics could not be good Americans. The idea to call them Knight came from an early member who was a Civil War veteran. Father McGivney had been thinking sons of Columbus, but this old soldier understood the martial nature of the idea of knighthood, how it would inspire men to want to be more and to do more, and knights suggested a ritual of entry. Father McGivney wasn't originally keen on the idea of the organization having a ritual, seeing it as too Masonic, 
but he relented when others convinced him that a ritual to induct new members would be needed to help compete with the Freemasons. But unlike the Freemasons, the Knights' ritual is not shrouded in utmost secrecy with oaths that bind the conscience of man in ways that are antithetical to God's truth. The rituals are entirely Catholic, and any priest or bishop is welcome to sit in on them at any time. Another thing Father McGivney insisted on was that this organization would be led by the laity, not priests. Some wanted to elect him Supreme Knight during the organizational meetings in February 1882, but he declined. In order for this organization to have the good reputation and recognition among the general populace that he knew it would need, it could not be led by the clergy. He did serve as Supreme Secretary at the beginning, but eventually he stepped down from this also, retaining only the title of Supreme Chaplain. The membership of the Knights was also limited to practicing Catholic men, and the Knights had a code of conduct for their members insisting that they be men of good character and that they be sober. This helped them to stand out from many other fraternal organizations whose functions would include lots of drinking. The Knights' functions would have a higher standard with formal balls and cotillions. Rules like these aided the Knights in helping their members rise in society since they could be relied upon as genteel men of character. And so with all of that in place, on March 29, 1882, the Knights of Columbus were established by Act of the Connecticut State Legislature. Father McGivney immediately wrote to priests all over Connecticut, inviting them to set up councils in their own parishes, but the response initially was tepid. A second Knights Council wasn't established until the middle of 1883, and that one was in Massachusetts. Slowly but surely, the idea of the new organization spread. By 1884, there were 11 councils, and they held the first annual convention. But some priests bristled at this new foundation. One wrote to the Connecticut Catholic newspaper under the name Clericus to decry what he saw as another secret society, just like the ones the church had been condemning. Father McGivney wrote back and responded to the claims, pointing out that while certain elements of the ritual were not available to the general public, any priest or bishop could come and sit in in any meeting or ritual to observe all that took place. Other priests grumbled that Father McGivney was setting up his own power base, making himself some sort of shadow bishop with his church within the church. To this criticism, he offered to resign. But those nearest to him and in the organization prevailed upon him to remain in leadership. The order continued to expand and its numbers swelled. Father McGivney continued to be an energetic and beloved priest at St. Mary's until 1884 when he was transferred to the parish of St. Thomas in Thomaston, Connecticut. His farewell mass at St. Mary was filled to the max, with many parishioners openly weeping. He was such a beloved and devoted father figure. The local newspaper, the New Haven Evening Register, reported, Never, it seemed, was a congregation so affected by the parting address of a clergyman as the great audience which filled St. Mary's yesterday. There was never a more energetic or hard-working young priest stationed in New Haven than he. After arriving at St. Thomas, he quickly established a council of the Knights of Columbus, the 18th, and, as at St. Mary's, dove into the work of being a priest for his people. One benefit of this move, really, was that it emphasized the role of lay leadership in the Knights of Columbus. He retained his role as chaplain, but even at just two years old, the organization was already standing on its own without Father McGivney's direct leadership. His ministry at St. Thomas lasted for five years until 1890, 
when tuberculosis and pneumonia forced him to confinement in bed and eventually took his life. He died on August 14, 1890, just two days after his 38th birthday. Father McGivney's funeral drew members from all 57 councils that had been established in the order's first eight years, along with 70 priests and the Bishop of Hartford. His body was carried in procession back to Waterbury, where he was interred in the McGivney family plot. After his death, he was succeeded by two of his brothers, who had also become priests, as supreme chaplain to the knights. As we said at the outset, since his time, the order has grown from that one council at St. Mary in New Haven to be one of the largest and most important fraternal organizations on earth. The Knights are a global phenomenon, going out and helping wherever they can. We talked in episode 70 about the work of the Knights to support troops during World War I. That was an amazing story. They continue to aid Catholics on military bases as well as Catholics on college campuses. They also engage in disaster relief and they do special projects to help those in need just as a matter of their regular work of being Knights. For example, the annual Tootsie Roll Drive to help those who are physically and mentally disabled. I also have fond memories of different councils of knights coming to Mount St. Mary's every now and then while I was in seminary there to have a barbecue and a night of relaxation for the seminarians. The knights really do a lot to help priests and seminarians. In 1996, the Archdiocese of Hartford opened the cause of canonization for Father McGivney, with Pope Benedict XVI declaring Father McGivney venerable in 2008. And then... In May of 2020, a miracle attributed to Father McGivney's intercession was approved by Pope Francis, leading to the beatification of Father McGivney, which took place in Hartford in October of 2020. If one more miracle is approved and attributed to Father McGivney, we will then be able to call the energetic young parish priest with a heart for his people, the man who founded the Knights of Columbus, St. Michael McGivney. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And we ask you to consider supporting the work of SQPN. Yes, now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron. Thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor to support all of our shows, including American Catholic History, making your gift go even further. And we're more than halfway to our goal of $2,000 in new monthly pledges. Won't you help us close the gap? If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now is the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. To learn more about Blessed Michael McGivney, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to unforgettable Catholic places in the United States, please visit sqpn.com slash history. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. No Irish need apply. I'm glad you didn't have that policy. <laughs> I did until I met you. I know. <laughs> I think I know the outtake's going to be. <laughs>